You guys remember playing the game of life? You like to win? Anybody like playing board games and you like winning board games? I used to think I liked playing board games. Uh, the truth is I realized I like winning board games. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. I, I want to win. My daughter and I had this ongoing game this week of she's a Stranger Things fan and we were doing the Stranger Things trivia. And I made sure that at the end I found a way to win. I know she's 10. I know, you know you're supposed to support her now. I want to win. You ever feel that way? I like to do that. From a little kid, I've noticed that about myself. I, I like winning. When we would, I would play basketball, uh, everything within me as a little kid was all about trying to find a way to win that game, even if it meant cheating a little bit. I mean, when you're little, you don't know any better. And then I thought, you know, maybe that was just me and it didn't pass on to my kids. Maybe my kids really don't care. And then I took Isabella to her first soccer game when she was like four years old. We were at rec soccer. And if you've taken your kids to rec soccer, especially when they're young, they give the parents a whole sheet of, of like rules to follow. Like, don't coach from the sidelines, don't yell, don't cheer, don't, we don't keep score, we're just hoping everybody wins. And I get to the sidelines, and some of you were actually at some of these games, so you might remember this about me. I didn't know. So I'm cheering and screaming from the sidelines, and my four-year-old daughter's out on the field, and kids are just kind of looking for the ball. And I'm, like, coaching her, like, hustle, get the ball, let's go, and running down the field as she kicks a goal. And secretly, I'm keeping score on my phone because I want to know who wins. And then my daughter comes off the field, and she's like, Dad, who won? What was the score? You know, you try to do the right, well, no one's keeping score. So I know you kept score. Who won? It's, it, maybe it's a little hereditary. I, I don't know. You guys remember this game? This is going to date me a little bit. You, you remember this game? <clears throat> I know it's an old game. And I, maybe I'm a little older. This is Nintendo, Tecmo Super Bowl. My brothers and I used to play this all the time growing up. And my art family team was the Eagles, but I kind of betrayed my family, and I liked the Raiders, so we always had teams to play against. I always liked Bo Jackson, and my older brother, Nick, was the best. He beat us all the time. But I remember one afternoon, we're playing, and, and score, the score's really close. It's just within three points. It's fourth quarter. It's after school, and, and it, like, I'm just feeling great, right? Like, snap the final play. It's always, always, always a running play to Bo Jackson because Bo Jackson scores. I don't know if you remember this game. When he runs... Players would like come and they kind of tussle a little bit, and then he would like sh- kick them off the screen. It wasn't like they'd just fall; like they'd go flying off the screen. Well, I hand off to Bo Jackson, the, the, or the whistle snaps. I hand off to Bo Jackson. The whistle blows, so the game's over. This is the final play, and he's running, and he crosses like the 40-yard line. He gets to the 15. A player hits him, and I'm scared to death. But he bounces off the screen, and I keep going, and no one's around. He hits the 40. He hits the 30. It's the 20, and I'm like standing up. I'm so excited, and the screen goes black. My brother yanked the controller, and Nintendo's like, you just look at them the wrong way. And they blipped. It blipped. So what did I do? I have attack, tackle my four-year-old older brother, and we start beating the snot out of each other because I wanted to win. And so did he. He was just a sore loser about it. And then my mom, from the other room, she yells this to us. You probably have heard this before. Guys, stop beating each other up. It's just a game. I'm like, she doesn't understand. It's not just a game. That was bragging rights for life. And he ruined it, right? That, my future was built on that. It's about winning the game, right? We love that. We want to win the game. We, we see this in sports all the time. I love watching the, the press conferences for the sports, the post ones after the game. And not really the winning team's press conference because they all sound the same, right? Every, every winning team comes out in the field and they're just so excited. And they all say, you know, we left, we left it all out on the field. We played a good 60 minutes. You know, the, the opponents really tried and they gave us some, some, some difficult times. But we've pushed back and we fought and we won. And yeah, it's great. But truthfully, it's just kind of boring. You know what's really fun to watch? The losing team's press conference. Because they react a little like I reacted when I lose and how my brother reacted when he lose and he was a sore loser. And Nick, if you're watching, it, it's still there. You're a sore loser. I won. <laughs> but they reacted the same way, 
right? They, they, they get emotional and they get upset. And, and it's, it's, it's hard because you've invested and you've worked hard for this. And then it's like taken from you. In some cases, they work a whole season. They'll work years to build this team to finally get there. And then it's, it's taken away. There's one instance of this. I'm going to show you a clip in just a minute where the coach of the New York Jets, this is a famous clip from about 15 years ago, Coach Herm Edwards is the coach of the New York Jets. And I know, like, you immediately feel bad for the guy already, New York Jets. But this was like that one year in their history where they were promised to do really well. It was everybody's expecting they were going to do really well. Well, it's like halfway through the season, and they've lost every game. It's not going well. And then they faced an opponent that they were supposed to win, and they lost, and they lost terribly. And in the the post-press conference, coach is in the room, and one of the media guys asks a question. I don't know if he was doing this facetiously or it was a true question, but he he kind of asked the question, like, like, Coach, I I know you you were supposed to win, and you you lost, and kind of by the way, like, you've lost a lot of games this season. But but in all of that, is there like, is there some moral? Is there some like win for you even in losing? Like, is there something you can can take back from this that's still a win in your books? And Coach Herm Edwards' response is is classic. So I'm going to let him say what only he can say. So this is, this is Coach Romero. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play <laughs> to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters. Right? That's, I mean, he couldn't have said it better. You play to win. That's why you're playing. You, you play to win the game. That's, that's what we do. He said it great. You play to win the game. That's what we do. And I know some of you might be saying, Jim, you're just taking it a little too seriously. Like, like come on. I, you, maybe you're going a little overboard with this. It's, it's just a game, right? You, you just, it's just a game. You play to have fun. You don't play to win the game. You just want to have fun. That's, that's the response. And when I hear things like that, <laughs> somebody's got eagle eyes. When I hear things like that, this is what I think in the, in the back of my head. I'm thinking this the whole time. It is, yeah, that, that's, that's fine and that's great. Oh, okay, but, but have you ever won because winning feels really good. Maybe you should try winning because it, it, it feels amazing. It doesn't feel good to lose, does it? Like, I mean, th- think about it. When you wake up in the morning, no one's thinking, I think I'll lose today. I, whatever, I, just, I think I'd rather lose. I'd rather be the loser. I'd rather be the guy who walks away defeated and downhearted and crushed. Yeah, that's, that's what I want out of my life. See, it, it, that's, that's, not how, <clears throat> that's not how it works. We all want to win. See, it, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter who wins or loses. The, the real question becomes, then why do we keep score? And I look at sports and think, well, that's why there's a giant scoreboard, because it matters. So everybody else is wrong. But, but the, the truth is, and if we're kind of connecting this to us, this is kind of how we live our life, right? We, we, whether we, we agree with this or not, we're all kind of playing games throughout our life. Really, life is just a series of games that we play. And I know that the games are a little more serious and carry a little more weight, but, but really, it's just a series of games that we play. And when we think about this series of games that we're playing, none of us wake up and think, oh, I just, I'm going to throw in the towel and lose. We all want to win. Here are some games that, that I think that we're all playing, or maybe at some point in our lives we are playing, right? There's, there's the dating game. And you maybe are playing the dating game, or maybe you want to be playing the dating game if you're younger, or maybe you're, you're, you're playing the dating game and hoping it moves past the dating game into the, the marriage game. At some point, you, you, that would be amazing. 
I would love to, to see what the marriage game looks like. And you're, you're playing the marriage game, but perhaps you're also trying to play the dating game at the same time, and that never works. That's a lose-lose situation. That's a message for another time, but, but that's absolute disaster. But we have the dating game, we have the marriage game, and then sometimes the marriage game moves on to the parenting game. And that's really hard to, to, to win a game in the parenting game, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And then there's the job game or the career game, and, and there's a difference between those, and we'll get into that. There's the car game, there's the house game, there's the, the, the vacation game. There's, there's these series of games that typically we, we play in, in our life that we're all, if we're being really honest, we're all really trying to win. We don't want to lose these games. We want to do our best. We want to win. We, we, we don't want to walk away feeling defeated. We want to walk, walk away feeling like we're the winners. So how do we win at these games? How do we win when it comes to things like dating, right? Like in sports, it's easy because there's a scoreboard and you can see like how much time's left in the game. You can see uh, uh, how you're doing against your opponent. And when it's over, it's really easy to look up and see who won or who lost. But it's hard to do that when it comes to these kinds of games. But the truth is we keep score, don't we? There may not be a scoreboard, but intuitively, we're kind of keeping score, right? When it, when, it comes, when it comes to the dating game, we are keeping score. Just because there isn't a scoreboard doesn't mean we're not keeping score. We all, in some way or another, find a way to do it. So if we could go back to that list for me, the, the dating game, how do we keep scoring the dating game? Well, we know who called first. We know who texted last. We know who's been paying for the most meals or the most outings. We know who kind of has maybe the most hand in the relationship. We know what the score is. In the marriage game, we do this all the time. I mean, right, we wash dishes so we can go golfing the next day. It's how we do it. We kind of find a way to keep score. How do we do it when it comes to parenting? We don't do it by looking at, like, comparing our children because you never win that game. Here's how we do it. We go out to eat, and maybe you've done this before. You're sitting out to eat, and, and you're with your kids, and you're looking over at the table next to you, and there's a family there with their kids, and your kids are actually sitting at the table eating, and their kids are like all over the place, and food's everywhere, and they're licking the floor, and you're thinking, we're winning, right? Like, we're winning, air five, right? With score, we won. Like, that's a, we're winning this. Like, they're going to go home, they're going to have some bowel problems. They've lost. We've won. That's amazing. That's how we judge our parenting game. Or, or what about the job game? You get your annual review, and, and you leave feeling really good, but you look over at your buddy who's next to you. How did it go for you? Well, not really well. But you walked away with a 30% raise. It's like, hashtag winning. I won. You lost. Or, or there's career. Like, maybe one day we want to think about retirement, and we're thinking about the future and how to retire, but our neighbor, who's 47, just retired. And it's like, hashtag he won. Over. Like, no, no game anymore. We find a way to keep score. How about when it comes to other things in our life, like, like uh, a house? We compare the houses, and, or maybe how many houses, not just our house, but is there a, a vacation home, or is there investment property, is there commercial real estate, what, what, is, what does it look like, what's our portfolio, are we winning? Vacations, how many vacations, where are you taking your vacations? Here's one of my favorites, cars. You, you pull up to a red light, guys, and you look over, and the guy next to you has something he can rev, and you have something where the doors on the side slide back, but it's like really cool because yours does it with a remote. <laughs> There's no winning that game, right? But it's what we do. We, we try to find a way to win at the games of life. And we work hard at it. And we do it because it feels good, if we're honest, when we win. But what if we're playing the wrong game? What if there's a more important game? 
There's this great quote. It's one of my new favorite quotes by a guy named D.L. Moody. He says this, and I think it's so appropriate for this conversation. He says, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really even matter. In our context, if we're looking at it in the games of life, it would be said perhaps a little bit like this. Our greatest fear should not be of winning a game, but of winning the wrong game. And I know what some of you are thinking, like, what do you mean the wrong game? Like, I'm, I'm trying. I'm working hard. I'm trying to succeed in my job. I'm trying to be a good parent and a good husband. And I'm trying to provide for my family. Like, I'm working hard, and I think I'm winning at the games of life. What do you mean I'm playing the wrong game? The Apostle Paul has something really amazing to say about this. The, the Apostle Paul, you know him, he shows up and as a guy who hates Christians and murders Christians and then meets Jesus and his life's changed and he plants all these churches. Well, <clears throat> after he leaves and plants these churches, he continues to support the churches by writing them letters. And, and oftentimes there's some encouragement, but there's also sometimes some, some correction, some chastising, some, some course correction for him. In a few of these letters, in particular in this one that he writes to the Christians at Ephesus, we call the book Ephesians, he does something that he does in a few other books that is absolutely beautiful. You understand the heart of Paul, not as just this, this pioneer and entrepreneur who's going to build the church and literally like build churches all over, but as a man who loves the people that he's working with and really working for. He begins to pray for the people in Ephesus, for the Ephesian Christians. He begins to pray, and, and the prayer is documented for us because I, I believe that if he were here, it would be the same prayer he would pray for you and he would pray for me. It's a wonderful prayer, and we're going to dive into it because I think, I think Paul, in this prayer, he may not use the word win as we use the word win, but he's going to talk about how to actually win at the game of life and that there's a really, really much more of an important game than the list that we created. Here's how Paul starts this prayer. This is Ephesians 3. He says this. <clears throat> Ephesians 3. We'll get there. Until we do, I can read it out of my notes. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. For this reason, I, I'm kneeling before the Father, and, and, and I'm praying for, for all of, of the Christians on earth or in heaven, because they've been adopted into the family. When they said, I believe in Jesus and his death and in his resurrection, we, we, you've been adopted into the family of God. You're now a part of his family, therefore you bear his name. He says, I pray, are we going to go? There we go. I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of God's glorious riches, that he may strengthen you, that he's going to fill you up with power through his spirit. And we hear this, and that sounds nice. Like, well, of course, we, we would like power, and that's, that sounds really great. But in this culture, this means so much more than it does to us. Power is good now, but 2,000 years ago, might made right. The, the, the powerful ruled the weaker people, the weaker were always being ruled. So these Ephesian Christians, they're reading this letter from Paul, this prayer that Paul's writing to them, and, and they're just eating this stuff up. Of course, we want more power. We want more strength. We want, to, we want all this because we want to be like winning at life. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Not the external things, not, not the, the, the games you keep trying to win, the games you keep playing, not at, at the dating or the marriage, not at all those other things. Those things are important, and, and we'll get to those later. But I, I'm really hoping that what's happening on the inside of you, this, this inner game, this more important game, that you'll be strengthened with power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's saying, I think there's, there's something that's going to happen on the inside. As a matter of fact, I think that that's, this is where it all kind of takes place. 
in your heart. And that something is going to happen on the inside of that that is much more important than anything that happens on the outside. So when he prays, it's really interesting, at least I think it is, because it's like he goes to the most important things. It's, it, he's kind of like us. When you pray for your kids, you pray for your spouse, we cut through all, all the other stuff, right? We cut through the fluff, and we get to what's really important. We get to what, what, what's really significant. That's how Paul is when he's praying this prayer for his, these Ephesian Christians, for his friends, for his brothers and his sisters. This is what's most important. Not these other things. They're important, but this, this is critical. This is significant. His prayer goes on, and, and I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. We've talked about this before, and you've seen these pictures of, of these giant trees, right? That go up so high, but you never see what's happening below the ground that they go down even significantly deeper and significantly wider. He said, that's what I want for you. That things might look good from the outside, but really it's what's happening underneath that nobody can see. That you would be, be deeply rooted, that you'd be deeply established, that, that, that no matter what would come, right, the winds and the rains and the tornadoes and the storms, that, that the, the tree's roots hold it in place no matter what storms come. He said, I want the very same thing for you. That you would be so deeply rooted and established in God's love that no matter what storms of life may come, that, that, you know, the dating game falls apart. That, that the, the, the marriage game that you've been playing doesn't end the way you thought. That the job you've worked so hard at turns up and, and the company dissolves. But you're so deeply rooted that you can survive any of those storms. You can survive any of those losses. He says, and I pray <clears throat> that you may be rooted and established in love and that you may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people, with all of the Christians, the Christians who are here, the Christians who aren't here, the, the Ephesian Christians I'm writing to, and, and the Christians or the Jesus followers that would come in time, I pray that you would all be connected together through the Lord's holy people. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to, to do something very specific, to grasp how wide and how long, and how deep God's love is for you. To grasp how wide, and how long, and how high, and how deep the love of Christ is. How wide, meaning it covers all of your life. How long, meaning it covers not just this life, but it covers your life now and your life into eternity. How high, meaning it's going to cover all of your celebrations and all of your incredible wins. And how deep, meaning it even covers the losses. It goes down to the depths of your soul and your despair and your depression. I, I want you to grasp God's love for you. Because ultimately, that's what's most important. That you understand how much God loves you. Paul's saying all these other things, all these other games, all the other things that, that we try to win at in life, they're good, and yes, I want you to succeed. But that's not what's most important. What's most important is that all of God's people would grasp his amazing love, how high, how deep, how wide, and how long. And then he says, I, I want you to know this love. I don't want you to just 
to just like to know it in knowledge. I don't want you to know of it because you've read about it, or I don't want you to know it because you showed up at Journey on this Sunday and Jim talked about it. I want you to know it in, in this, this deep kind of experiential way. I want you to experience this love that God has for you. I want you to know that this love, that, that it surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It, it's like when we start playing the, the games of life, it, it, it's almost like, well, why are we, well, really, what are we trying to do when we play the game, right? This is what we all try to do. We, we, we play to win the games of life. That's what we do. We would go back to that. We would use Coach Herm Edwards' words. That's right. We want to win. I want to win at dating so I could then hopefully move that relationship into the marriage category, then win at marriage so I could move it into the parenting category. And then I'll say, you know, I'd like to have a good job so one day I could retire, and then maybe I could get the house or the vacation house and the nice car that's not a minivan, and I'm the guy who's pulling up and revving. And I'd like to win at all those things. But, but the question I, I really struggle with if I were to ask is, but, but why? Well, because it's life and this is what happens. Yeah, but, but, but why are we trying so hard? Really, when it comes down to it, what are we trying to win? Maybe that's a better question. You see, my, my thought is, and this is, I think, where Paul's going. It, it's like there's this, this emptiness in us. And, and we keep trying to fill the emptiness by all of these wins. By winning in dating and winning in marriage and winning at our job and winning at our careers and winning with cars and houses, and, and it, we, want, we want to do it because the truth is it makes us feel good, right? Like you win at the, at the dating game, you get something from the dating game. And if you win it at, at the marriage game, you get something from the marriage game. And when you're eating at a table and your kids are sitting nice and well-behaved and the other kids look like a bunch of animals, you're thinking, I've won, I feel good. I go home and high-five my wife and I feel successful as a parent. You get something from it. You get something when you win at your job or when you win at your career or when, you, know, when you, you get the house you like or the car. It feels good for a moment, doesn't it? It's kind of like our, our cup feels empty and we keep trying to win. We win at life and we win at dating and we win at marriage and we win at career and, and, and we're trying but it doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. And we put all of our effort into this. We wake up thinking about it. We go to bed stressed about it. We, we invest in it and we pour our life out for it. But, but it, it feels like, if we're being honest, I'm not really getting there. And that, that good feeling, it's fleeting. It's here for one moment and it's gone the next. But we don't like the feeling. I don't know how you feel about this and I don't know if this is true, but my guess is this, this is where we came up with participation awards, right? We, we, we remember this feeling as adults. We don't like the feeling of not getting one because getting one helped us feel a little better about ourselves, really. It helped us feel good for a moment. And we don't want our kids to feel that way. So we're just going to give everyone an award. It doesn't matter if you lost zero to 10. We give them the award and, and it feels good for a moment. But here's the problem. It's a counterfeit win. It wasn't really a win. And the trophy really doesn't make us feel all that good. It feels good for a moment, but then it's gone the next moment because we, we didn't do anything. I mean, look, look at back at what Paul said in his prayer. This is so, so beautiful. I love the way he, he says this in his prayer. <clears throat> he says, and to know, I want you to know, I want you to deeply experience the love that's wide and long and high and deep that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be 
Filled, that's our word, so that you may be filled. And, and this, this word, it's almost like the action of being filled. It's filled, filled up, completely filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. It, it, it's almost like Paul saying, I, I want you to, 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 just for a moment, forget about all those other games of life, right? The dating, the marriage, all, all, the whole list. And, and that was just a small list. There is a huge list, and you're probably adding to it in your head right now. Forget about those for a moment, because all of that will come later. I want you to, to focus on this. Because all of that time spent focusing on that other list, it, 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 you're, you're trying to fill the cup, but, it, but you're never going to get there, no matter how hard you try. And it's never going to feel good and last because it's all counterfeit. I want you to focus on this, he's saying. Because when you begin to understand God's love for you, when you begin to understand how much he loves you and how wide it is and how it covers all of your life and all of eternity and how there's no wins and no losses that can take you out of his love. It's almost as if God's saying to you, guys, I, I, it's it. I've done it all. I love you. There is nothing you can do to make me love you any more or to make you love you any less. When you begin to experience that, Paul's saying, it's kind of like God just begins to fill your cup. And he just fills. And he fills and says, oh, Nope, not done yet. He gets to the top and then he just keeps going. And it keeps going. And it keeps going. And your cup overflows because of the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love of God. He said, I want you to live in that. Because if you could live there, imagine how everything else changes. Imagine if we learn to live in the overflow and not in this, this constant need of, of, I need to win, I need to take, I, I, I need it because if, if I do it, I feel better and I win and I feel better about myself. What saying, you don't have to worry about any of that. What if you could live in the fullness of God's love for you and in that overflow? How would that change this list? How would that change in dating? What if in dating, it was no longer about what you had to take? It's not, I'm not here to see what I can take. What if you just lived in that overflow and you gave and you loved unconditionally? How would it look in your marriage if it was no longer about this game we played to see who gets the upper hand or, you know, I'm going to do some good so I can go do this thing. What if it was, what if it was never about taking and it was all about giving? I'm just going to give and I'm going to pour it out, and I'm going to love unconditionally. How would that change your marriage? How would that change your parenting? How would, it, how would that look different in your career or your job? If instead of feeling like I have to work hard to take to make me feel good, you were completely confident in how you felt because of God's love for you, and you could just give. I don't know if we realize this, Jesus gave us this amazing command to love one another. We talk about that all the time. But, but every time we take, we're taking from somebody else to make us feel better. And they lose. Every time we take something, somebody else is being taken from and they lose. What if we could live out of that fullness and just say, it's yours? God loves me so much. He's provided everything for me. His goodness and his riches never end. He's never let me down. He's never failed me. I'm okay, and I can give. See, it's almost as if Paul's saying, you're playing the wrong game. God's love within, that's the win. 
That's the game I want you to play. That's what I want you to understand. We can get so caught up in the games of life. It feels like you're running the rat race. Every Monday, every time you come home, every conversation, with the, it's just the same thing, and we're, we're trying and we're trying, but if we're honest, we don't feel like we're getting anywhere. Paul said, because those things were never meant to satisfy. But God's love was meant to overflow, not just satisfy, but to overflow so much that you could live out of the overflow, that you never had to worry about giving because it wasn't like you were robbing from yourself. God's just pouring. He's just pouring it in. You're giving away. And he's like, I, I, I can match your speed. Keep going. Keep going. I got it. Keep going. Give as much as you want. And I'll give back. See, that's the game we're in. But too many of us don't realize it. And we'll spend our entire life trying to win these little games. But they never seem to win. And they never seem to matter. And here's the kicker. Paul said, when you begin to do this right, everything else begins to shift. You're playing the dating game. If you just love that person unconditionally and give, hey, guess what, guys? You're going to win the dating game. Have you ever met anybody who doesn't want to be loved unconditionally and feel like that person is just giving for them? Marriage, you're winning the marriage game. No, but I, I've got to try to win and, and, and keep the scoreboard on my side. Nope, just give. Just give. And I'm telling you, in the end, it's all going to feel better. It's all going to work out. Because that's ultimately what we all want. And here's the best news. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're somebody who's already kind of subscribed to this way of living, guys, as a Jesus follower, you've already won. Amen. He's already done it. The greatest act of love that could ever be done was done for you. It's like God's looking at you, looking at you and, and you may be internally struggling with it. It's like, I don't know that God really loves me. I don't know that he really forgives me. But he, but he has. And your mind keeps going back to like what you did in, you know, in your marriage or your previous marriage or how you handled that conversation with your kids or what you did at work or spring break a few years ago. You keep going back there and it just, it, it overwhelms your mind and, and, and it, it hurts your heart and you just begin to think, it's just too much. The truth is, if you're a Jesus follower and you're living like God doesn't love you, that's not God's fault. It's ours. Because God's looking at you and saying, it's done. You've been forgiven. I've loved you so much, I've done everything I can. Just experience it and live in it. You can't do anything that's going to make me love you anymore or anything that's going to make me love you any less. And then it gets even better. Paul concludes his prayer this way. I love it. Now to him, to God, who's able to do immeasurably more, more than we could ever think, more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever ask. We think we try to win at these games of life and we're, we're, we're working hard. And God's like, guys, you don't even realize what I have in store for you. You don't even realize the games that we could be playing together if you could live in this. I could take you further than you could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work, not in the external games, not on the outside, but it's at work within us. To him, to God, be all glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what Paul's saying there? He's saying when you kind of step out of the rat race of all those external games of life and you begin to realize that this is the game, he said, this is what ultimate people want to follow. 
These are the stories I hear from you when you talk about how your grandfather loved your grandmother. These are the stories I hear from you when you talk about how your mom and dad loved you and raised you right and, and, and took care of you. This is what the generations behind you will follow. Your children and your children's children. When we learn to live in the overflow, the game changes. When we learn to live and to understand that everything we do is coming out of the overflow of what God has already done for us. Dating, career, marriage, pick the category. The game changes. As a Jesus follower, you just need to wrap your heart and your mind around how much, how wide, how long, how high and how deep God's love is for you. It's amazing to me that when we look through this chapter, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, his most important thing wasn't that they would win or that they'd be prosperous or that they'd overcome the government. It's that they would grasp the great measure of God's love for them. And if you're not a Jesus follower, that's what you've been invited into. That game. That realization, it can be done with the prayer. It can be done with the simple prayer. For you Jesus followers, if you feel like, like I'm just sitting on the outside and I hear what you're saying, Jim, but I still don't think I get it, I've written a prayer for you. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that I think you can memorize in one reading. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, please help me to know that you love me. And please help me to be filled with your love for me. Amen. Heavenly Father, please help me to know your great love for me. And help me to be filled with that love for me. I want us all, all to say it together. Whether you're, you're at home, you're listening to this later, if you're sitting here on the count of three, we're all just going to say it together. I don't want you to forget this. Because if you're here and there's ever been a struggle where you just don't feel like God actually loves you, say this prayer and remind yourself of his love for you. Are you ready? On the count of three, we're going to say it together. One, two, three. Heavenly Father, please help me to know you love me and help me. Amen. Guys, that's the game. Understanding how much God loves you. Everything else, everything that comes after that, it's a win. Because he already won. That's my prayer for you. That any moment you find yourself struggling, God, I don't think I can. God, I don't think you'll love me. I don't think you'll forgive. Remember his great love for you. Live in the forgiveness. Remember that it covers all of your life. Everything you've done from the day you were born all the way into eternity. It celebrates every wind. And it's with you through every loss. There is nothing you could do to take yourself out of that incredible love of your heavenly father. You've won at that game as a Jesus follower. Now live in it and experience it. And let me pray for us before we go. Heavenly father, I thank you, Lord, for this incredible prayer. God, that I'm so thankful Paul wrote it down so we could see it. God, I do pray with all of my heart that we would experience, God, not just know and not just read about or hear somebody talk about, but that, God, each of us would really experience 
your love. God, the love that surpasses all knowledge, God, that, 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 that is with us from the beginning to the end, and it covers everything in our life and in between. God, I pray that at the moments in our life where we bring that into question, when we're not sure that you would love us, or because of what we're experiencing in the outside, God, and outside of us, that we would feel like maybe you've forgotten about us, or maybe I've done something to take myself out of that love, that you would remind us of this prayer. God, help us to remember, to, to understand your love. And help us to be filled with that love. God, and for those of us who, who aren't Jesus followers, God, who are sitting here maybe feeling on the outside looking in thinking, that sounds pretty nice. God, would you move in their hearts right now? And would you help them to realize how easy it is to become part of God's family, to be adopted in? God, it's, it's as simple as this. And if you're here and, and you're hearing this prayer and you want to know what it is to be a part of God's family, to take on his name, to experience his love, here's the prayer. Father, forgive me. God, I've done it on my own too long and I can't do it anymore. I believe that Jesus is your son and that he died for my sins and he rose again to offer me forgiveness. Forgive me and make me a part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a wonderful Sunday.